Hello, we are Terra Nova, a horror podcast. We're hosted by Kendall and Jackie. And here we talk about everything well, horror. And this podcast is specifically for you, the horror fans, and also the non-horror fans. If you're too scared to watch the movies, it's fine. We talk about it, we discuss it, we dissect it, we laugh about it, talk about the good, the bad, the tropes, and new episodes are launched every Monday. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TerranovaPod. And more importantly, tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. And tell your dog too. Cujo. <laughs> Sometimes dad is better. Yes, as you heard my partner say, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, old man Judd. How you doing there, Jackie? (laughs) I almost choked up my water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, old man Judd. His voice was cracking me up the whole film. I almost choked up my water. (laughs) Today we're going to be doing Pet Summary. Woo! 1989. The original. Yes, because honestly... The new one, yeah, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> first, let's do first impressions before I do the summary. So, what did you think? Because I don't think you ever seen the the original. Well, no, you have. You said it's been a while since you watched it. So, how did you feel revisiting it? This is only my second time seeing the film. I don't know. I don't. I don't love it. It's, I'm not gonna say I hate it. I don't hate the film or anything like that. I don't think it's a terrible film. I don't love mm-hmm. it. I think it's it's okay. It's passable. I really like the first half of it. I would say then kind of near. Kind of near the end of it, I I was kind of falling off on falling off of it in terms of interest, mm. but I, I don't dislike the film. I could kind of see why they remade it, but it's it's okay. How about you? Same. Um, to be honest, I actually like the second one more than anything for for the Pet Cemetery series. The first one was just really interesting. Um, from what I read before, that it, it is kind of close to the book. Um, so was the sequel, but you know because if any film adaption that comes from a book you know they have to condense it take some some take some stuff out of how it was in a book revisiting it really didn't really change my feelings for it i still you know watched it still enjoyed it um but again like the sequel is is my favorite by far what about the sequel uh makes it a better film for you because i've never seen the sequels i think because um it does take, I think it kind of does take place of the sequel. I mean, the first one where it's like an urban legend now about the whole house, what happened. And then it becomes the whole like where everybody's dying. Everybody's getting, everybody's getting revived. You see multiple people getting revived in the pet cemetery. It's not just one or two people. And it's not slow paced, really. So I think that's why I enjoy the second one more than the first one. Like it's more in your face. Oh, okay. So the first one essentially kind of builds the the story of the legend that leads into the sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. And there were more than one sequel. There was one more than one sequel, right? Just the second one. That was it. And then the remake okay. from 20, 2018, I believe. Yeah. But, and did um, you see that one? I did. I did see the remake. Um, I, I was like, eh, about it. I get it. The same to my adult. I mean, they changed a lot of things for just for the, to make it more interesting. Um, I did read that the sequel, the, the, the remake has, more additions from the book than the first one <clears throat> um at least that's what i read but yeah it, it's it's decent but i mean nothing really compares to the original one in my mind it could be just nostalgic reasons but i don't know but have you ever seen the remake uh no i've, I've been meaning to because I, I liked one of the actors that is in the in the remake what is his name uh john Lithgow. i think that's how you say his name mm-hmm. yeah he plays i think he plays the father oh cool yeah, I like him as an actor. He's really great. And I, I love the one season of Dexter he's in. So he does, in my mind anyway, he does horror and thriller really well. So I was I was looking forward to seeing that, but I didn't get, get around to watching it yet. But yeah, so um, <clears throat> let me go into a quick summary. Cool. So basically, Pet Cemetery is, is it kind of sounds like what it is, but it's not. It's basically about this family who moves into this area in Minnesota. Um, They're like in this, this weird highway, like, suburban town where the trucks are going you know super fast and so anybody could caught in that um they meet their neighbor uh he kind of tells them to run around like be careful of this road um this road is essentially the reason why this pet cemetery exists because pets die in the road everything kind of centers around this pet cemetery you know the the, the father's a doctor he just moved in he ends up having an incident where someone comes in who's like literally bleeding out from his brain and then boom all hell breaks loose ghosts start popping up cat dies 
the the neighbor Judd, who, as you heard, my partner mimic just now in the beginning. <laughs> old man Judd, <laughs> kind of tells, Judd. yeah, he kind of tells him about the pet cemetery and tells him like, oh, this is what it is. It's ancient burial ground. Whatever you bury in it comes back, but it's like not what it seems. And then he goes on to telling him, you know, sometimes dead is better. And yeah, it's just it's just a very interesting film you know i mean the theme of it that i'm getting from it is just grief it's just grief like the things you will do if someone you love dies like the length you will take just to have them again and that's kind of like what i summarize it as a movie about grief yeah that that makes perfect sense honestly that's kind of what i got from it as well until the later end of the film but from the Mm -hmm. first half that's kind of what i got from it as well it seemed like the the biggest theme was death and grief and a lot of the dialogue focused around that a lot of the dialogue a lot of the dialogue focused around how people handle death, uh, what is mm-hmm. death, uh, whether or not there's an afterlife, whether there was conversations with the the kids talking to their parents, and, you know, that kind of exchange where the parents mm-hmm. are kind of trying to explain to them what death is like because they had to take the, ki- the, doc- uh, the cat in to get surgery and they were trying to make sure nothing happens to the cat, of course. And uh, one scene that really stood out to me was when uh, the dad was getting ready to take the cat to get surgery. And the kid was like, hey, nothing's going to happen to the cat, right? And he was kind of hesitant um, because in part, like, he's a doctor, so he understands that things can happen in surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also doesn't want you, of course, want, you know, tell his kid that the, the pet will can die or will die or there's a chance of death. And then the mom just kind of jumped in and was like, no, nope, don't worry. Cat will be perfectly fine. Everything is good. And then the dad kind of looked at the mom and he went up to her and was like, if something happens to this cat, I'm going to let you explain to her what death is <laughs> because there is a, always a small chance of something going wrong, but I'm going to let you have that conversation since you said everything's going to be okay. It, it felt kind of weird, like tone, tone wise, it felt kind of weird, but I, I kind of mm-hmm. get where he was coming from in that conversation. So, and it's, I feel like honestly, this movie is full of a lot of weird moments like that where things don't quite make sense, but they're, they're like, they're okay. Like it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. No, I got it. I feel the same way too, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I actually liked that conversation he had because I remember even Judd was kind of like when he first showed the family the pet cemetery because they were curious about what it was because it was right behind their house. The mom was always hesitant, like, oh, I don't want to know about this stuff. And, you know, he was he told the mom, he was just like, you know, eventually she's going to have to learn about what death is. And, you know, she was just like, yeah, but not today, not now. And it, it's really interesting because like it, it like, in some sense, I get it, but at the same time, it's like you can't really shelter kids like that because eventually you you do have to have the conversation with them, especially if they have a pet. You know, how that happens, that's going to be hard. In some way, they yeah. do have to understand what death is. It doesn't always have to be a grim because even Judd tells Ellie, the daughter, like, oh, the cemetery isn't isn't sad, isn't scary. It's, it's rest. It's for rest and where they speak, where you could like, talk to them you know, conversate with them. She, he kind of tried, tried to make it seem like it's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's just when people pass on. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It, just the whole conversation about death and how people handle it in different ways. I'm not sure if this film did the best way of kind of examining that conversation. I'm sure maybe the book did a better job because this, this film is based off a book. And w- you could probably talk about some of those, some of the differences. But yeah, I'm sure the book probably did a better job. The film, where the film falls short, in my opinion, is... The first half of it seems very much like a conversation about death and all of those things and kind of like curses and stuff. And then, but near the end, it kind of it kind of just drops a lot of the, I guess, philosophical aspects of the film, and it just becomes oh. essentially a slasher film. And it gets it gets really weird. It's like a, it becomes like a really cheesy slasher film near the near the end of it. Yeah, it's it has two elements in it. It's like supernatural and slasher. Which, I mean, it's, it's kind of common in Stephen King's stories, like The Shining. It's a supernatural and a slasher movie. Carrie, supernatural film with a little bit of slasher elements in it. Um, same thing with Christine, you know, like, um, yeah, he, he has that. He's known for that. Um, but yeah, uh, I think also the reason why it does feel like short, like you said, is because, again, like it, it's a film adapted from a book. The book is way much longer um the ending however is the same in the book it's the same way but i know in the remake they changed it a little bit just to add a more like flair to it um what did they change in the remakes and i'm curious from the original you know you see how uh the dad he you know he try, he takes out his his dead son who came back and his wife is also returned to the dead as well so in the sequel the daughter is one that dies not the son 
and she's the one that buries the mother and then they both come back to take out the dad and basically it's left in this open-ended that the dad died and came back to life as well here you have the zombie family and the only one left is the toddler son like hiding so he doesn't get killed and, and that's it that's how it ends oh that's that's interesting yeah well, that's kind of interesting depending on what the rest of the film was kind of trying to achieve otherwise that's that sounds like that could be pretty cool i guess mm-hmm. did you yeah. feel like it worked in that film um i don't know i guess i mean it was different because you know the way the original ended you just assumed that the dad died you know because the mom comes back and kills him obviously but you just assume that mm-hmm. okay they're dead but after that you don't know what happens afterwards um and yeah it was interesting though and it's funny because um the director she she had a plan like mary lambert mary lambert she actually had an idea for the sequel where she will continue the storyline from the first one where she'll have ellie come back and try to understand what happened to her family and that how they're running like how they're walking around as zombies in this town that that was her idea for the sequel but of course it never happened and then we had a different Mm-hmm. Outcome for the sequel, and that would have been interesting too if she would continue it that way, or the daughter returns to figure out what the hell happened to my family. Yeah, that could that could be an interesting concept, and probably give us a little bit more of, of what everyone was what they're kind of thinking as a whole. Because I just I don't know I don't I don't I'm not I don't I don't, if anyone listening it may sound like we're trying to we uh we're destroying your your childhood dream <laughs> or destroying your uh your love and fascination with this franchise we aren't that is not our intention by any means if you take it that way that that's kind of on you but uh <laughs> that's not exactly what we're aiming for it's just with, i don't know something about this film i know it didn't initially get really great reviews out of the gate even when it came out initially in 1989 which was the year i was born uh some of the reviews mm-hmm. weren't necessarily glowing either people were just kind of like it's okay K, I guess like either some people said the, the slasher aspect of it and then the end kind of threw them off or the film kind of felt like it was rushing into his final act people felt different ways about it I just in the two times that I've seen it I, I'm not really married to the film like it, it's pretty good mm-hmm. but I I don't get how it personally I don't get how it ended up in the like classic lane or like even becoming like a horror classic of some sort I don't get it that part I don't get about this film because it's like one of those films where like yeah, like people don't get it when it first comes out. And then when they revisit it years later, just like, oh, okay, I get it now. I understand it now. Where that's why it falls into the whole like cult classic type of thing. I think that's that's what happened to it. Um, and we've seen that happen with many, many films, not just Stephen King, you true, know, adaptions. True. We've seen those so many times. Um, but I think that's what it is. Because, um, yeah, like, again, like, again, like there's a lot of things that happen in the movie that's so subtle. Again, like the whole thing is about grief. That's literally what it is. It's literally about grief. And yep. and it also kind of like gives, it's kind of like a zombie movie too, in a sense. Like you have a little bit of everything. You have zombie themes, a little bit of Frankenstein themes, the supernatural themes, and then the slasher themes. All that compiled into one thing. Again, Stephen King is kind of known for that, for mixing in different genres into one thing because again we've seen it before with him you know it's not the first time he's done that <laughs> this is true maybe it's just this is just maybe i don't know maybe this is one of his weaker projects i guess oh because i know that according to other reviews like other critics like this along with carrie and the shiny are the closest things to the book to the source and i know that when they were doing this film he was on set helping produce this movie mm-hmm. so he was having his own like you know cues of like this should be this way this should be that way to keep it as close as it is to the original of course you can change it you know certain yeah, things yeah of course and it's funny he made a cameo too in the movie he was the reverend in the movie oh <laughs> um i don't know if you caught that when they were burying the sun no i didn't i didn't catch that at all yeah there's, there's a priest you know giving the final you know prayers when they're bar- when lowering their son and that's that's stephen king oh that that's cool that's cool he made a cameo in his old film that's always cool it's like Stanley yeah, popping up in Marvel movies. <laughs> he does that a lot. He likes to make cameos in his own movies. It's just what he does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and a little bit of like, you know, the supernatural sense of it, you know, necromancy. You know, we've seen necromancy before in like Castlevania, Harry Potter, um, you know, Elektra, Marvel. She comes back, but she's not the same. Yeah. And that's kind of like what happens here with when, when you know, um, the father buries the son. Um but yeah, but you know, yeah, that was pretty like, creepy. Let's just like rewind and just go back from the beginning because there's so much, it's so much sure. stuff that happens even in the beginning that I'm just like, wow. Even one thing is that, what is it? There's a quote too in that movie where it says, like, soils of a man's heart is stonier. And it's funny because the ghost Pascal tells 
the father this, and so does Judd. Judd tells him this too. Yep. That was crazy. I like Judd. Judd Judd is a character I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always it's always nice to have those uh I guess you call them wisdom characters. Like he <laughs> he was someone who lived in a town. He had a good understanding of kind of like how to. T- well, I guess you can call it a town, small town. You know, it's kind of like the middle of nowhere. So uh-huh. he had a good understanding of town. He had a good understanding of kind of how things function around there and how things work. And it was good enough to have like some backstory in terms of like what the burial ground that they used. And they uh, the, the burial ground that they used, they said it was like an Indian burial ground, which is a very common thing in horror films that we've experienced. Even like to the to this day, honestly, I think they still do that in some horror films. They did it in Poltergeist. Um, that was the reason why I said the family Poltergeist would be dealing with the issues they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. This film very similarly, except in this case, the Indian, bur- well, I guess similarly, in this case, the Indian burial ground was the site of this, was the place where I guess you could say the dead rises again. The, mm-hmm. the thing that, about that was, that was really, I guess, horror movie logic, the way they went about it. <laughs> the thing that made me laugh was when he took the cat there, when he took the cat there, uh, because uh, the cat ended up in an accident and the cat was, cat died and he didn't want to tell his child. Uh, his child Gage, so he he um and Jed kind of recommended to him to bring the cat to this place where he may have a solution. And then they walked God knows how many miles to get to this Indian burial ground that looked untouched and hasn't been used in forever. At least that's how it looked. And he buried mm-hmm. the cat, and the cat came back. And of course, he was shocked that the cat came back. The conversation he had with Jud was kind of funny because Jud was just kind of like, "Well, yeah, it's 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 uh it's an Indian burial ground, and you know." People used to, and it, people used to use it, but then since they kind of left it alone because they felt something was wrong with it, the the soil kind of went spoiled. And I was like, oh, that's that's a pretty interesting way to kind of introduce that kind of power. But at the same time, I was really thinking this is only in a movie, but I know it's a movie. But I was like, you couldn't tell him the dangers mm. that could have come with this before you let him bury the cat up there, like because according to Judd, burying the cat up there led to the kid being killed because he's like the ground wanted to take a sacrifice of some sort. So I'm like, you couldn't give him some forewarning beforehand, knowing that you've done this prior <laughs> to these families yeah. moving in. Like, what the hell, Judd? Yeah. The one thing, too, is that, again, like, I mean, in the sequel, they kind of referenced it. But, you know, Judd has a wife. And in a book, when they first, when Lewis, Rachel, which is the parents, when they first move in, they're introduced to Judd and his wife, who's still alive in the book. And in the book, she's she's sick. She's dying. And since Louis is a doctor, he actually does help her try to, you know, ease the pain. But then she ends up dying sleep, um, peacefully in her sleep. What I wish they I wish they put this in, in the movie because it, it will make more sense where after this whole transaction happened, that's when Judd. No, this is when after like after this whole happened, uh, the cat dies. And that's when Judd mentions the burial ground because he's just like, because you helped me with my wife. I'm going to help you with this situation because Ellie is the, was the daughter's name. She was like, Ellie's not ready to hear about death yet. Mm-hmm. So let's bring her back. I wish they put that in the movie because I feel like, yeah, him just telling him like, oh, yeah, there's a burial gown here. And then mentioning afterwards, like, oh, yeah, there's the dink soil. It does seem out of place. Where it's just like, OK, now you tell me this. Yeah, seriously. And I kind of do wish. Yeah. No, go ahead. I just wanted to, I just had to add that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Jud. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I feel like if they added that, it would have made more sense, and it would have added more depth into the whole trans, like you know, the whole conversation about that burial ground. It would make more sense. It would be more fluid. It's just like, okay, that's why this happened. Yeah, that that would have worked for me because if, without reading the book, man, you I have no context of that. So I'm just I'm purely looking at the film. And my thought was just like, this is kind of confusing. You you essentially, which they tried, I, I guess they tried to uh, fix that in some ways where when they had a conversation later after the kid passed, he he was, Jed was pretty much saying, I'm sorry, man. Like, I don't, I feel like this is my fault that your child passed. And he's like, what do you mean? The kid was hit by a truck. And he's like, no, because, you know, you you buried the cat there and then the ground is, it's, it's bad. So it might've led to your, feel like it might've led to your child being killed. I was like, oh, okay, I guess, based on what you just told me about the book that's that was their way of reconciling it but that's still what in my opinion isn't enough considering that him and that man walked for like five hours <laughs> to, yeah. to a damn indian burial site in the middle of nowhere that the family probably wouldn't have found otherwise he walked them all the way there to save a cat like i'm like okay like i get the reasoning behind saving the cat but the reasoning behind judge showing him that and then making him kind of being like yeah just do it was kind kind of stupid kind of dumb to me yeah 
Yeah, like I get it. You know, time for we've seen it all the time with film adaptions for movies. They always take stuff out. They have to condense it. But I do wish that they kept that for context reasons. But yeah, but even then, it's like you know, it's funny because like when they first moved in, uh, Lewis and Rachel, they mostly moved in because he has a really bad relationship with Rachel's family, and we've seen that in the movie too. And how the family just hates Lewis. They can't stand her husband. They're just like, yeah. oh, this, this, that. You know. His first day on the job was literally like, yeah, it's going to be a relaxing day. And then boom, his first his first ER victim, Victor Pascal, which is the guy who got hit by a truck. His brain is spewing out of his head. And as he's trying to like save him, even though he knows there's no way of saving him, he's already dead. He, he comes back in a sense where he's just he kind of warns Lewis, you know, without even knowing him, he warns him and says, beware of the the part beyond the pet cemetery you know he's getting all these warning mm-hmm. signs even in a dream you know quote-unquote dreamland pascal takes him he's just like don't go beyond this place and then at first he thinks it's just a dream but then he tells him that line where it's just like you know um this but the soiling in, in the man's heart estonia and then when judd repeats that quote to him that's when he's just like holy crap that wasn't a dream that really happened and then yeah. Judge has chosen the burial ground. And I believe in the book, um, I believe Stephen King has said that how uh, Pascal is like a guardian angel in a sense where he does watch over the family. Where it's just like, you try to help me, so I'm going to help you by telling you, don't go here. Don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do this. But of course, it doesn't have to be a Stephen King movie, just any movie. You're not going to listen to it. <laughs> you know, you're going to go by these things. <laughs> You're going to go by gut and desires and be like, you know what? I think I want to do the stupid idea. What What? What can happen? What's the worst that can happen? And a lot happened. <laughs> uh, definitely a lot happened. That family was damn near pretty much cursed by the end of the film. They don't lost a child. He, he loses his wife. They lost a cat. Uh, they, they lost a lot of people. They, they, Judd even died. Judd didn't, didn't really, really do anything wrong, wrong. But Judd still ain't making it. The kid killed Judd. It was. You know what's funny though? When it, <laughs> it's just a side note, but when the 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 kid died and then the kid came back and then went to kill Judd, that whole sequence just reminded me of Child's Play. <laughs> yeah. The entire yeah. sequence, everything with that kid, just reminded me so much of Child's Play. I felt like I was watching like a live action version of like a a human version of Chucky killing people. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I, I believe Mary uh Mary Lambert also probably did the same thing for a bit. It's like, oh look, it's Chucky. Um, yeah, even the kid's yeah. face. Yeah, and it's funny because um, they were thinking of using like a little person to play Cage when he came back from the dead. But instead, they kept him, but they also used puppets too. So they were using like animatronics for certain scenes where like Cage is falling down or Cage is doing certain things. Um, I guess because they wanted oh, to make it, cool. yeah, they wanted to make it seem more and more, more real. Um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of creepy. It was creepy. Um, of course, he, he spews more for profanity in the book than in the movie. <laughs> You know, because in the movie, you know, his little cage, his baby voice, he's just like, I'm going to kill you now. But in the book, he he's more like, he's he's more abrasive of his language. Because, you know, you, you don't realize that it's not cage anymore. It's like some demonic creature taking over his body. But that was just like, oh, God. And I'm kind of going to jump around a bit. Like, I was watching the movie, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you thought it too, but the daughter, Ellie, I kept thinking, like, is she psychic? I feel like she's sick. Yeah. And I was then, like, is she the, a seer or something? Yeah, and then the book, it confirms that she is psychic. And for some reason, I don't know why, but Mary Lambert felt like she didn't really want to bring it up that she's psychic. So she kind of just left it there in the sidelines where you as the viewer are just like, okay, this girl's obviously psychic. She has some type of power because she can sense things. She's having visions that I kind of wish they kept it that to make it known that she's a psychic. Because even when she's yeah. having dreams about, oh, I'm dreaming about Cage killing daddy, doing this this and that and even the moment when um the mom hears her nightmare about you know something's gonna happen to her husband right away you hear pascal the guardian angel being like you have to go back go back like he's gonna do something stupid but of course you know it's too late <laughs> he already does it you know but yeah i really liked ellie's a character she's kind of annoying a bit but she's a kid you know kids are all annoying yeah it's a kid. Yeah. It's some of that you expect. Actually, it would have been kind of interesting um, if they had done maybe, a, I don't know, a sequel or something that included her, like older yeah. or something. That could have been yeah, pretty that's interesting. What, that's what she wanted to do, Mary Lambert. She wanted to do that, where she returns back to the scene of the house to find her, try to figure out like what happened exactly. But, you know, it, it just, it was, that idea was scrapped. 
and then we just ended up having a different sequel with a whole new you know group of people but yeah it would have been uh, interesting it would have been interesting to be honest like a return to pet cemetery in a sense you know yeah that could have that could have been cool like that, that that also sounds kind of close to like the shining series like i don't know if you've seen uh dr sleep i haven't i heard good reviews about it though but yeah because I, I believe it's the son he's in the yeah. sequel yeah the the lead in dr sleep is the son from the shining and it's it's one part him dealing with uh kind of like the aftermath of him dealing with what he dealt with as a child and then just you know just like different things like that so this kind of probably would have felt kind of close to that but i don't know i think it just would have been better considering that the character clearly had visions of some sort and could have been a bigger part of everything but they kind of just played it off like oh the kid's acting kind of hysterical let's just kind of calm her down and move on Mm-hmm. I don't know. That could have possibly worked, especially, you know, when you're introducing supernatural stuff, some of it, you, some of it, I feel like you kind of want as a you as a fan. I mean, I, yeah, as a fan and as like a viewer, some of the stuff you just you want explanations for just to kind of clarify, <laughs> like, why does this kid have psychic abilities? How does this kid have psychic ability? Like some of that I kind of would like to know. Yeah, true. True, true. And um, what else? Even even the mom, you know, we kind of have an understanding of why she's the way she is when it comes to death. You know, like we find out that her family kind of left her, an eight-year-old girl, <laughs> to watch over her sister Crazy. who was dying. Yeah, like Zelda. And she's just like, oh, feed me, feed me, feed me. And it's funny because um, in the book, uh, she's only mentioned a couple of times, Zelda. Um, she dies the same way in a movie and in a book, but she's not as a pivotal character as she is in the movie. You know, Mary Lambert showed her more. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess to show the reasoning why Rachel's the way she is when it comes to death. Like, she has, like, a death phobia. She doesn't like talking about death. She doesn't like the word death being mentioned anywhere. You know, which explains why, you know, she was quick to, to tell the husband, like, oh, yeah, the cat's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Or, like, telling Judge, like, I don't want my kids learning about death yet. Like, no, but I want to know. Because, you know, she experienced as a child that traumatized her. So you kind of understand that notion. I don't know if you heard about this, but there's a theory that maybe when Cage came back to life, that maybe Zelda, the sister, is who's possessing Cage in a way to get back at Rachel. And that's a that's a theory that's going around. It's an interesting theory. That. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't. I mean, watching the movie and then hearing about that thoughts and then hearing like Mary Lambert's commentary about that, I kind of believe that because, you know, it kind of goes back to this, this in the scene where she's on a phone, you see a picture of Zelda as a child. And it looks just like Cage when he comes back from the dead. The mm-hmm. same, the same outfit, the same cane, same everything. And I do feel in some sort, maybe, yeah, it is Zelda in a way to take revenge or whatever conniving spirit. Um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. That's a it's an interesting theory. I just my my I guess my only thought to that would really be does Zelda does Zelda really have a reason to be mad at her sister? Like they I feel like her. I feel like when when the mother was talking to the to the husband, he gave the most logical response. She was talking about the whole situation with Zelda because she was saying, "Well, my sister was so sick and all of this, and I I didn't really I felt bad that she was sick, but I also felt bad that we kind of had to take care of her because she was in so much pain. A part of me wanted wanted her to die, not just not even to relieve our not really to relieve her pain, but to relieve our pain of having to deal with it because mm-hmm. she was so scared of her sister. Which yeah, that's pretty dark and obviously very sad. But another part mm-hmm. of me is like, well, as your, your, your husband said, your parents are the ones that are the problem. They left a child <laughs> to tend to their dying other child. Like, that's insane. That That's crazy. That's literally ludicrous. And I was like, yeah, he's he's 100 percent right. Your parents are the problem here. You didn't really you didn't really do anything wrong. And your, your parents are the problem to the point where I kind of I, I know they didn't like him. But I'm I'm surprised he at no point even brought that up to them. Like, yo, what's something wrong with you? Like, you basically traumatized your child, who's n- now an adult, but you basically traumatized your child because for some reason you guys thought it was a good idea to leave a child to attend to a dying adult. Like, what is wrong with you guys? I'm surprised he never brought that up to the family. But I'm like, yeah, that's that's a big thing. And I guess this is all just to paint the picture of like how everyone grieves differently, as we were saying. Like, mm-hmm. clearly. Clearly, she's grieving with it by just kind of moving on and pretending that it almost never happened. Because he, he uh, according to their conversations, he never, she never even mentioned it until like basically the time and place, the present day of the film. She didn't even mention it prior to that. So I guess she was clearly trying to avoid it. On top of you know, the, not even letting the kids know, be familiar with what death can even be. So mm-hmm. she was handling it in whatever ways. Uh, the stuff with the ghost. Uh, 
I, and a, a part of me thought before it even got like fully supernatural, a part of me thought the husband was experiencing what he's experiencing because he lost a patient. So like, I know he's a doctor and that mm-hmm. happens, but a part of me thought he was just experiencing things as that more than like an actual mm-hmm. ghost talking to him. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of a ghost talking to them and warning them, of course, is pretty cool. We've seen that in, well, since then, we've seen that in tons of films. I kind of wish he didn't appear the way he did appear because that's fucking terrifying. It shows somebody with their head bashed in. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to give you a warning, but his head's bashed in and bleeding. Like, what the hell, dude? Uh, <laughs> so that was that was a little strange, but I, I did like that that aspect of it. I liked. I did like the uh, people coming back and for some reason being malicious because they say the soil is, is buried. I mean, the soil is like dirty and essentially negative now. One thing that did come to mind, though, when they were talking about the Indian burial ground thing was something I was, I've kind of recently heard from different just from doing research in general, how like how essentially racist the term Indian burial ground is. Like, have you heard about that? I have. I have. And it's funny because like when they when they remade the movie, they didn't call it like an Indian burial ground. They just said a burial ground. They just they did opt out anything of, of what the term or the tribe was from the book and then the original movie. They just opted all out. They just called it like a burial ground. That was it. And it is it is kind of racist. You know, it's like it's like a token thing. You know, or it's just like, oh, it's a, yeah. it's a it's a burial ground, so therefore it's cursed. Oh no! And you know, we've seen <laughs> it. You know, like in Poltergeist, uh, they also mentioned it before in the Amityville horror. You know, it's it's yeah. always that whole thing where it's just like, oh, it's a burial ground. That means it's haunted and cursed. It's just like, does it have to be like that? Mm, maybe it's just bad juju, you know. But you know, again, this was written. <laughs> this was written back in 1983, which is when you know Stephen King wrote it and published that was it. That's when the book came out. Yeah. So of course, back then it's gonna be a certain way. If it was written now, of course, it'll be different. The wording would be different, you know, about it. Yeah, and, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I just think like the reason the wording would be different is kind of important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, it it's 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 perceived as a racist term. Because, well, well, for obvious reasons, but, you know, it, it all goes back to in terms of, course, you know, Americans relationship with Indi- with the Native Americans or Indians, whichever term you, you find more appropriate, uh, would manifest destiny and all that stuff. And how, you know, essentially Americans came in, kind of took everything over, took mm-hmm. land over from people who were already here. But it's, it's considered racist because it's kind of like saying, well, these people were magical and mystical. And by us taking them over, we essentially being punished for being on the parts of land that we took from them. That's kind of like what the idea generally is. Fine, that could be cool, but it's just weird. I think once again, it's one of those things where it it can be weird because this is the only representation you see of these characters. Like there aren't any Native Americans in the film. There's just mm-hmm. like, well, this land is here, and that's what's this land is what's causing us problems. Which, and in a way, I don't think I'm pre. I don't think I don't know Stephen King, so I can't say what he was thinking. But I don't think that was what he intended. But it kind of creates a weird, at least in my mind, a weird double racism effect because it's like well mm-hmm. you live in the suburbs and the suburbs historically have been used to keep white people away from anybody of color black people anybody who pretty much lives in urban areas the whole point of the suburbs is to kind of be isolated and completely away from anyone who what isn't like you that's really what the suburbs are built on the white mm-hmm. flight and all of that stuff so you take that and then the one interaction you have with something that isn't you is f- negative and it's of a different culture entirely. It gets like a weird double negative. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. Um, Again, like if that was written today, it would definitely be different. Like it wouldn't be called burial. Oh, yeah, of course. Because I mean, even the book, he calls it the death falls, you know? I mean, yeah, he mentions the burial ground, but he also calls it the death fall. He doesn't call it like the, the you know, the burial ground, whatever. That's what he calls it in the yeah. book. Um. And he also mentions, you know, a Wendigo in the book, which was also mentioned in the, the remake. Because that's essentially what takes over the dead. A Wendigo takes over flesh. And, you know, Wendigo's also like, you know, pretty much urban legends, you know, Native American urban legends mm-hmm. as well. Um, where they essentially, they're like skin crawlers. They just take the, take the form of a person, but really like they're a demonic being. And that's essentially what they describe Cage um, and the mom in the book. Which it makes more sense, but you kind of understand it too in the original. Where you're just like, you know, that's not them. That is something else taking over them. And even the the short story Judd tells Lewis about the first time they buried someone in in mm-hmm. that whole pet cemetery with that 
the boy, the guy, Timothy, you know, he was, he was a war veteran. He died, you know, fighting. And then his father was so grief stricken, grief stricken that he buried him. And then he came back as some weird monster, kind of like Frankenstein, you know, cause like, you know, when Frankenstein yeah. was created, he's, he doesn't know anything. He's, he's like reborn. So all he knows is just like chaos and destruction. He doesn't know anything. And um, they, they changed that aspect from the movie versus the book. Because in, in the film, you know, you see the flashback of when they're all going to go and bury the, burn the house with, with, you know, Timothy, the zombie, and his dad. And you see the Zed dad crying, be like, no, he's just misunderstood. He's just misunderstood, blah, blah. And you hear the, the son, you know, saying like, no, you know, living bad, dead peace. He's literally screaming that to his father. Whereas in the oh, book, yeah. in the book, the father acknowledges that he created a monster and so he actually kills Timothy and then kills himself before burning. The, like, he burns the house down and then he kills himself afterwards, realizing what he did. That's the difference between the book and the movie. Um, it, it, that would have felt differently. Oh, too. okay. Yeah, it would have felt differently if, if they would have kept it the way it is in the book. Yeah, and that would have, it would have felt, I think it would have felt more of what they were going for, which was, which mm-hmm. seemed like they were going for, as you said, a film about grief and a film mm-hmm. about how people handle grief. And mm-hmm. the reason why you shouldn't just like revive the dead, well, aside from the fact that we don't have like the actual technology to do that, <laughs> mm-hmm. like aside from that reason, the reason why we shouldn't is because what you bring back most will possibly not be what was buried. And of course, that ties into the overall theme of everything. But I don't feel like the film did a good job of explaining that. It just kind of brought back monsters, but didn't explain why they were monsters or give us like reason. Like, I feel like not even just a remake, but I feel like usually when we get these kind of films, because essentially if you're saying like the book that they were like Wendigos, you're essentially essentially kind of a monster film. Right. And we got so many of those, at least in this day and age. Right. Where mm-hmm. the story is, I think again, you could point to something like Sinister, the movie Sinister or Insidious is like a good example. Where it's essentially, mm-hmm. okay, we realize there's a, a problem, there's a monster, and then, you know, there's always that portion of the film where you're discovering what the monster is, how does the monster function, what does it feed off of, those kind of things. I feel like this is what the, that's what this film missed. This film yeah. didn't give you what, what these people were, what what came back and why it came back. It's just like, nah, it comes back evil. And I was kind of like what they just wanted you to accept. Like, cool, they come back evil, but you don't know why, you don't know how. You don't know what's involved. And I feel like that's probably what would miss the mark for me was. And I, and I, I usually kind of hate those investigative scenes in some horror movies, but they usually at least I would say they usually introduce you to interesting creatures and monsters, whether made up or urban legend. That kind of makes you go, mm-hmm. oh, OK, that's why this monster is terrifying. Like this thing feeds off of your fear or this thing feeds off of the sadness of people like that. That probably would have th- made this movie even better, in my opinion. Versus just everyone being evil for the, I guess, the sake of being evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do explain a bit more about it in the remake, but it's essentially kind of the same. But you do get a little bit more understanding, you know. But of course, in the book, it is way more detailed. You know, there, there's more plot to it that leads up to the whole, you know, the creed's downfall, you know, of, of everything happening. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think it would it would definitely made it a better film, whether it's the remake or the original. I think it would have made it an even better film because the film isn't bad by any means. The, the acting is good. I really enjoy what the story did for the most part. It's just that that piece was kind of missing for me. Mm-hmm. And remember, it was my second time watching it. So I really was like, yeah, that's probably why I didn't like walk away like, oh, I see why this is a classic so much. I was kind of like, hey, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even in the book, it kind of paints that the Creed's house moved in is essentially haunted. Like even the book kind of implies that it could be more than than just that burial ground. It could just be the fact that 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 particular house, that whole thing, is probably mm-hmm. haunted. Because what's everything going on? And again, like I kind of wish that. Um, I mean, it could have been time restraint. She probably didn't have enough time, but I kind of do wish like Mary Lambert had more time to elaborate more. You know, I mean, Stephen King did write the screenplay for the movie. Mm-hmm. So he was probably just putting in like little aspects of his own book and be like, okay, this will work here, that will work here, that will work here. So I get it, but yeah, I kind of do wish like you you wish you kind of wish they had more information. But of course, I'm sure someone out there is just like, well, if you want to know more, then read the book. It's just like okay, <laughs> <laughs> like okay. Yeah, you can't just say. I feel like people who say that though, you can't. You can never just say that because if that's the case, well, maybe they shouldn't have made the film if you're not gonna like give me enough detail to understand it. Like no, people don't necessarily watch films 
to then go, cool, I need to read the continuation and in, in book form. People either read the book <laughs> and then go, okay, cool, I'm looking forward to the film because I read the book, or they watch the film and then go, cool, I want to check out the book because I've watched the film. Like, you don't, you don't read the book as a sequel to the film you watch. <laughs> no one does that. I could imagine that even with, like, everything is a book now, but, like, The Hunger Games, I've read those books. I finished them before all of the movies even came out. But I couldn't imagine if they like made all three movies and then was like, cool, if you want to finish the rest of the story, how about you go read th- those three books? I'd have been like, what the hell? Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, manga does that a lot in anime, where anime would just give you a certain episode. And it's like, you want to continue it? Read the manga. But that makes sense. That works for that genre. You know, that's, that's OK for that theme. You know, that's yeah. fine for that. But when it comes to something like this, yeah, it's, it's completely different. It's just like, eh. You know, even again, yes. but it, but it happens a lot when you see um films from from literature. You know, and I remember I took a films from lit course in college, and we talked about that. You know, they're always mm-hmm. going to change certain things about it, I guess, to make it more engaging, to make it more interesting for those who have read the book. You know, but then you have those those diehard readers where it's just like, but this is not how it is in a book. Why did you change this? Why did you change that? And I've experienced that too myself with certain films that were adapted into film. So I, I get it. But, but for this one, I again, I kind of wish they did elaborate more about the whole thing about what's going on with his family and that whole burial ground. You know, like that's why I kind of wish they, they built on her. Yeah, I think I think it needed it. And it sounds like the people who were in charge of the film knew that. So I don't know, maybe the studio stepped in and was like, maybe just keep it simple and move on. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is reading is not fundamental, guys. So burn <laughs> all your books. <laughs> no, do not <laughs> burn all your books. Don't, don't listen. Reading is for the devil. Though. That's don't, what I'm trying to tell y'all. <laughs> this don't is the devil's listen. word is in the books. That's, that's reading ain't good for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, god. We gotta cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> can't you burn the book <laughs> you know what if Stephen King you're listening to this prosecute him don't prosecute me okay I defend you he's the one saying burn the books nah, nah Stephen King I respect you I got I got a lot of things I like about you I just you know that one thing about the kid orgy at the end of it that, that thing had to go but other than that <laughs> Stephen King you are writing my book and that, that was just one really creepy moment in time I hope we never have to revisit it I'm happy to cut it out all the films but other than that, you're right, man. You gave me Storm in a Century. Uh, what you gave, you gave me this. You gave me It, which I love. It. And Stephen King gave us a lot of good stuff. Yeah, he did. And Cool Joe. Oh, oh yeah, Cool Joe. Cool yep. Joe. Cool Joe is another classic. Yeah, a lot of classics. But um, but yeah, it's just again, like again, with grief. Um, there is one thing though in the film that they kept that was very subtle in the book. Um, so when they're in the funeral home and they're you know doing the whole funeral for Kate, the father and the husband, you know. Lewis are fighting it out. They push, they shove mm-hmm. each other, and then the casket falls. And then you see a little glimpse of, of Gage's little hand. Yeah. So in the book, that's how it is. That's exactly how it happens in a book. When they were filming that, so many people of the crew had told Mary Lambert, I don't feel right about this. I don't think we should do it. It's just too, it's too, it's too shocking. It's too in your face. She really mm-hmm. pushed for that to happen. She was just like, no, this needs to happen. And in a way... It kind of did have to happen because it, it shows more emotional of like what Lewis is feeling, you know, like he yeah. lost his son. And then when that whole thing happens, the casket falls, it's like it's like he lost him a second time. Like that realization, like my son's dead. My son is dead, you know, and I'm actually glad that she fought to kept to keep that scene in because it, it would have felt different if they didn't. You know, I mean, not to say that we didn't need it. But I feel like it definitely added more to the whole emotional aspect of what he's feeling at the moment. Yeah, you're right. I agree. And it, it's it's honestly one of the better scenes in this film. It's one of the best scenes in this film for that reason. On top of everything else, like clearly the family has every reason to be upset because a child died. Whether you want to say it was the parents fault or not, clearly mm-hmm. uh, it, it's sad and everyone's going to be disappointed and really just sad. You have to have a funeral for a child that's far too young. Um, mm-hmm. Him attacking him made sense. They they already didn't like him, so essentially mm-hmm. anything that anything that went wrong in that family was going to be blamed for him. I'm not sure if they lost the house, they would have blamed him. Anything that could possibly go wrong in that family, they were going to blame on Lewis. So it it just is what it is. Um, but him attacking him and then Lewis kind of didn't even really fight back because he was just, he I, I'm sure he was felt like it was his fault anyway. And then seeing the seeing the kid's hand when they did that, it was just kind of like oh that sucks. And I, like you said, it's like he lost him twice. 
and on top. But I'm happy she fought for that though, because I'm sure it was shocking in the, in that time, because it was this movie came out in the late '80s, so 1989. Like this is far before, way way before we started getting all the saws and all stuff like that. Like we get, we had some graphic films. Like we already covered the thing, which was pretty graphic. So we had some crap graphic films in that time, but mm-hmm. things like kids dying in films even to this day is not really a norm like it happens in some Mm -hmm. films but it's it's not a norm it's not something you just see every in every film like and all those saw films yeah it's very shot it's very shot upon like it's very just like like a no-no it's like a big no-no it's like a bit taboo yeah it's like if you want to call it you can honestly call it a trope it's just something that does not happen even in horror films which is the genre that has no problem killing anyone from from grandmothers to parents to Pretty much everybody like and John horror is like the one genre where everybody is free reign except kids. And a few times where they where kids actually do die, you go, oh, shit, I didn't expect that to happen because kids don't really die in horror. That just doesn't happen. And they killed the kid and it wasn't graphic, but it was sad. Like the kid, it wasn't like the kid died of illness or something like that. The kid got hit by a truck. Like that's that's crazy. That's wild as fuck. The kid gets hit by a truck. You see his bloody shoe on the floor and then you get to see like it's cold, dead hand at a funeral. So clearly it was something that I'm not surprised you had to fight for it because it's not something that we even do much of to this day. Even if we cut away in a lot of horror films now where a child dies, they still kind of just tell you afterward. They'll be like, okay, so-and-so Jeff died or whatever, or in this case, Gage died. They'll just kind of tell you, they don't necessarily show you. But in this case, not only was the kid hit by a truck, they showed you the kid's bloody shoe. to like kind of confirm what you thought, like, yeah, this kid ain't make it. They confirmed it and then seeing the hand on top of that, like it was like it was like a double gut punch. So it, it sucks for the family. But I know I'm sure that was for them to really get the get the point across that like, yeah, this family is a this family going through it and this ain't gonna be easy. Yeah. Even the moment when the truck hit him, um you see the blood kind of like splatter on Lewis's shirt and face. Yeah. And you just see him like on the floor screaming no. And you you feel that because you're just like, oh, you know, like as the viewer, you feel that. You know, you may not be a parent yourself, but you feel that pain. You know, it's just like, wow. And yeah, you do. This is, yeah, this is right. I think we mentioned it before. Uh, what's his name? Ari. I keep forgetting his last name, but the one that did like Hereditary and Midsummer, like how he's so good. Ari Aster. The, yeah, like how he's so notorious and good for human emotion. Imagine if he were to make that film, that scene would have been so different. It would have been very different. You would have gotten more raw emotion. And that's kind of what it felt like. It was like pre-Ariaster when he's screaming yeah, he's on the floor. And he's just like, oh, my God, my son. And even when he digs up his son and you see him holding dead cage in his arm and he's just holding him and rocking him as if he's alive. Like, it's just, just like, damn, you know, like in that instance, it's funny because even Judd was just like, whatever you're thinking, don't do it. I know what you're thinking, but don't do it. And that instance, you know, it's just like, like if you were Lewis in that situation, what would you do? Like, would you do it or would you just be like, you know what? I just have to rest, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a tough, a tough decision. Like with the with the cat, it was hard, of course, but it was it's different. It's more of like you're trying to protect your child's innocence when it's mm-hmm. your child that died is more at this point. You're trying to protect your sanity or anything else. It's like you're trying to pr- protect the TMI. One thing that my father used to always tell me, he was like, any good parent does not plan on or expect to outlive their children. Because mm-hmm. it, it just makes perfect sense. I don't really even have to explain that. But, you know, you, you you could be 20, 30, whatever. But if you have kids, you're by default older than your kids. And you expect your kid mm-hmm. to live longer than you do. So that just kind of comes with being a parent and you hope to help them get there. So I, that's why the, the mm-hmm. grief from the parents makes perfect sense. Um, But, uh, you know, and pets, pets can make you feel the same way to kind of like jump over and back to the title, of course, Pet Cemetery. Pets, of course, make you feel the same way. Like, you know, you, you've had a pet. I have a pet. Like, you feel sad. Your pet, your pets are family. Pets are literally family. Are there are people who like their pets more than they like people. <laughs> With good reason. <laughs> but pets pets are family. And they will always be family, regardless of what. So, yeah. I, m- I remember there was a lady in the newspaper years, years ago. She uh she she passed. And I think she left her, she left her cat with all her money. <laughs> I don't know how that works in uh in terms of... The cat spending the money, but that just shows you like people, people love their pets. Their pets are family. So, and, and fa- the people that you, the children, the family, of course, of course, their family and the things that kind of come with that. So the film definitely struck all of those chords and your, your point to, uh, comparing it to hereditary is, is accurate. It's, and it's, it's kind of funny because I wouldn't be surprised if the director, um, Ari Aster, I wouldn't be surprised if he pulled that, 
pull that emotion from this film because it's when they, but it clearly when Gage died, like the, you can see how like broken they were. He was just kind of just laying in the dirt screaming. Very similarly, as you said, to the scene in Hereditary where the kid passes it and you hear the mother's like heart wrenching scream. Yeah, it's true. I mean, when I lost my dog, that's what it felt like. It felt like part of me died. But I do see that there is a big difference between that and then losing a kid. If you were Lewis mm-hmm. in that situation, what would you do if you were Lewis? You know, resurrect your kid or just be like, okay, he's dead. Yeah, I definitely probably, I definitely wouldn't have brought it back. Yeah. But after seeing the cat, you know, you, you can't assume it's going to be different. And even when the mom dies, you know, he goes to, to bury her. Pascal is still warning him as the ghost, like, don't do it, don't do it. And he's just like, no. This is different because she just died. It's going to be different. But then you see after she's revived, it's not different. It's the same. It's still a malicious thing taking over her body that essentially kills him at the end. It's an off-screen death. You just hear him scream, but you don't see it. Yeah. And at the moment, it's just like, yeah, like, like it hurts. But then it's just like, yeah, you should like, again, like Judd says, sometimes dead is better. It is better. Just, just let it go. You know, don't, don't do that because. You know, again, like we've seen it before in Harry Potter and one of the Deathly Hallow movies, you know, when the brothers resurrects a loved one. Mm-hmm. And because it, she's not happy being alive again, she essentially starts rotting away and then he kills himself. So it's just like that is better. You know, like we get it. You know, some people, like you said, people have different ways of being. And that's why I viewed this whole movie, a whole process of grief. Uh, it's, it's just like sometimes you you want them to come back but then you know like they're not going to be the same you know that's why people like especially like in Dia de la Muerte they always say like it's okay to feel sad but also feel at peace that they moved on that's the first thing you have to do you know it's hard even Jed said that yeah like it's easier said than done but yeah so any last words sometimes dead is better (laughs) (laughs) okay old man Judd okay (laughs) all right (laughs) <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, old got. man Judd. Old man Judd for you. I've been saving that all week. I've been prepping in the mirror, just practicing. Like, I gotta get this voice down. Right. But I'm all good. We can get out of here. All right, then. So, everybody, ooh, ooh. Those goodbyes.